0: Welcome to the Most Notorious Podcast, I'm Eric Rivenis. I've hesitated to do a Jack the Ripper episode in the past, because there are so many books on the subject, I honestly didn't know where to start. Many of them push a specific suspect, adding more mystery to the legend of the infamous serial killer. I didn't want to start with one of those books, as interesting as they might be. I thought it better to find an author who is well-known in the field, and has written a critical and even keeled account of the notorious murders. Perhaps no book on the subject is more widely respected than the one called "The Complete Jack the Ripper," and no author more respected than Donald Rumbelow. He is a crime historian, former city of London police officer, ex-curator of the City of London Police's Crime Museum, creator of the Jack the Ripper Walk an author of multiple books. He's internationally recognized as one of the world's top authorities on Jack the Ripper, if not the top. And we're discussing his classic book today. A great honor having you on the show. Thank you so much. My pleasure. So this is an engaging book right from the start. And for me, it's because of your description of Victorian London's notorious East end would you describe for us the state of affairs in the East End in the 1880s?
3: Well, the East End of London, um, this is the area just to the, the east of uh, the one square mile, the banking heart of London. Um, east, east, the East End of London was known as Outcast London, unwanted London, forgotten London. It was an area of overcrowded slums, great d- 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 density of population. i uh, give you some idea of the size of the population in the East End. The, the, you see, East End is an area, including, uh, made up of former villages like Whitechapel, Bethnal Green, and Shoreditch. Um, these are all melded together uh, uh, over the years. So we have this great lump called the East End. Um, outside the East End of London, density of population, London had a population of about uh, 4 to 5 million Outside the East End, um, density of population per acre was about 25 persons. Closer into London, it was 50 persons an acre. In the heart of the East End, in the heart of the Jack the Ripper killing ground, it was over 800 persons an acre. That gives you some idea uh, of the overcrowding. People slept seven, eight, nine persons in a room. Um... Tremendous. uh, If you went into one of those houses, uh, banisters would have gone. They'd have gone for firewood. Uh, There was probably only one bucket outside as a toilet. Um, And uh, this was uh, slumland on 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 a a grand scale. Um, To earn a living, most most, a lot of women had to uh, turn to prostitution, casual prostitution. The uh, to to uh, buy a prostitute in the East End was exactly in 1888. It was exactly the same as it was sort of nearly um, 30 years later when Jack, the American author Jack London, came and lived in in, in the East End for a short time. Um, you could buy uh, a, a woman for for threepence, twopence, or, or even a loaf a loaf of stale bread to give you some idea of value. Um, To buy half a pound of cheese would have cost you eight pennies to buy double the price of buying a a, a, a sort of prostitute. This this, this was the scale of things in the East End. Um, Children uh, were generally dead before the age of five. About 55% of children were dead before the age of five. Um, And... uh, the disease was obviously sort of very prevalent in, in slumland in, in the East End. It had, the area had a big Jewish population, and uh, this was, uh, there were all related problems there because of the overcrowding, but this was made worse in the 1880s by uh, Jews escaping from the pogroms in Tsarist Russia and Eastern Europe and coming into the area and bringing conflict within the Jewish community itself. So you have this trem- uh, these all these tremendous pressures on on jobs um, homes and and uh, normal everyday life
0: if you would talk about the discovery made by Charles cross at approximately three forty in the morning on august thirty first eighteen
3: eighty eight um Charles Cross is on his way, way to work, and he was walking through a street called uh, uh, Bucks Row, and um, he saw the um, uh, figure of a woman li- lying in a gateway. He didn't want to sort of he wasn't quite sure what the situation was, and um, he uh, um, decided he'd go and look and for, look for a, for a policeman, um, but actually he sort of bumped into somebody else, and the two of them went back to the scene in Bucks Row, this, this gateway, um, the policemen had already um, arrived. The two men, had uh, Charles Cross and, and uh, the, the other man, um, they'd originally thought that the woman was a drunk, um, but they weren't sure, because it was dark. There, it, there, was no, there was no sort of artificial light. But the policeman, when he came along, saw what the two men had not been able to see, that the woman's throat had been cut back to the spine. Um, so uh, a doctor was called, um, the body was, he certified death, the body was uh, placed on a stretcher and taken away to the um, workhouse deadshed, there was no mortuary for Whitechapel. A bucket of water was thrown over the bloodstones on the pavement, and uh, that was the extent of the initial police investigation, it was only later, um, some little time later, as the body was being undressed in the deadshed. That it was discovered that not only had the throat been cut, that the the, the body had been mutilated, um, no organs removed, but nonetheless, none cuts are running from the vagina up to the breastbone, and uh, the this woman was subsequently identified as uh, as, as Polly Nichols, um, a, a, a known prostitute. So
0: was murder common in East London at the time?
3: Uh, murder was extremely uncommon in the East End of London. You're looking at, in 1888, you're, the, London had a population of nearly 6 million at this, in 1888. So the number of murders in 1888 was 28, for a, a population of nearly 6 million. The year before it had only been 13, and the year after, 1888, was 17. And the number of uh, manslaughter cases were, were in, the, in the 90s. So murder was very, very uncommon. So the Jack the Ripper for murders actually put, pushed the figure off the scale.
0: Right. So approximately a week later, on September 8th, another body was found, right? And this was Annie Chapman.
3: Yes, Annie, Ch- Annie, Annie Chapman, for, and uh, she's she's found uh, in Hanbury Street uh, near Spitalfields Market, which is a great big fruit and vegetable market, which is why the the prostitutes tried to get sort of lodgings uh, near the market so they could um, uh, uh, get customers from among the, from among the traders, many of them just coming in from the outskirts into London, bringing bringing their goods. Um, she actually um, she. Been living in a, a lodging house close to the market, but uh, she hadn't, at this point, she hadn't got any money. Uh, the reason being that only a week before the murders, she'd got into a fight with another prostitute. The fight had been over a bar of soap. And in that fight, Annie Chapman had been given a very bad kicking by the other woman, and one week later, her chest was still badly bruised, which is why she didn't want a customer, but she had to have one. She was thrown out of the lodging house because she hadn't got money for a bed. Um, and, uh, So she went to the uh, market looking for a a customer and picked up Jack the Ripper. She was seen talking outside number 29 Hanbury Street, talking to a man wearing a sort of long coat and a deerstalker hat, deerstalker hat very similar to short Sherlock Holmes. Um, And um, the man was heard to ask, will you? And Annie Chapman replied, yes. But nobody saw him go through the hallway of the house, the actual hallway, into the yard at the back which was regularly used uh, by, by, by prostitutes uh, to service their clients. Um, she was found about half an hour later uh, with, um, with a throat cut. Um, she'd been ripped open from the vagina to the breastbone. The insides lifted out and dropped over her right shoulder. Her womb, vagina, and two-thirds of her bladder cut out with one sweep of a 12-inch bladed knife. And nobody had seen or heard a thing, so this was this was the second of the murders, and this is what really gives the case its impetus because suddenly the press now are deeply interested and they're, they're chasing they're chasing the story. We've got two murders within one week.
0: And again, there is an actual physical description of a suspect in this second murder, so there is something to go on,
3: right? There is a a description, in fact, a notice put out for a man man called Leather Apron because in the backyard of 29 Hanbury Street, there is a a leather apron which has been washed and is lying under a a cold water tap. And a local man was known as, uh, nicknamed Leather Apron. And uh, his name was actually John Pizer and he was quickly caught, um, but he had a cast-iron alibi for where he was at the time of the murders.
0: Talk about police divisions if you don't mind and correct me if i have this wrong but you have the city of london police force and then you've got the rest of the police headquartered at scotland yard
3: london had in 1888 and still has today two police forces uh, the city of london police force for the one square mile that's the banking center um the banking heart of uh, london which uh, uh, is, is centred around what is now uh, uh, St. Paul's Cathedral. It is an area of just one square mile. That's the City of London Police Force. Um, the rest, it covers one square mile. The rest of London, um, nearly 700 square miles, is covered by the Metropolitan Police Force, which has its headquarters at Scotland Yard. And uh, those are the two police forces um, then uh, and now. Now, the, there was competition between the, the, between the, the, the two police forces um, as to who should actually sort of, you know, who, who was going to catch this murder. All the murders except one took place in, uh, the, on Metropolitan Police Ground. Only one, the murder of Catherine Eddowes, victim number four, was, was murdered inside the city, city of London. Now... Both police forces at this time were patro- uh, controlled by ex-army men. In the city you have uh, Sir Henry Smith, and in the, uh, uh, or you have, as he then was actually, Mr. Henry Smith. For the Metropolitan Police, the commissioner is Sir Charles Warren, an, ex-ar- an ex-army man, um, much maligned man over the years. He's a... Uh, he, he's an engineer, army engineer, he did archaeological excavations in Jerusalem, a lot of his work still stands and is referred to even, to, even today. He was also, um, uh, as I say, policeman in charge of uh, the Metropolitan Police. And the problem between the two police forces is a major problem, is at that time, police for, uh, policemen were tied to their force boundaries. What this means, in effect, that uh, on one side of the street you can have a city of London policeman, on the other side you can have a metropolitan policeman. Both are standing there in their uniform, they have all their police powers, and they are backed by their commissioner and the Home Secretary who is responsible for police. All they had to do was swap places, a matter of yards, and they immediately became ordinary members of the public in fancy dress costume. They had no police powers. The only powers they had were the ordinary citizens' powers of arrest. Any under- action they undertook, uh, they were the person- They had no official backing. Um, any action they undertook, were- they were personally and financially liable for. This situation didn't change until 1964. So when you have a situation you know, like after the murder of uh, victim number four, Catherine Eddowes, and the city are on uh, metropolitan police t- uh, territory, they have crossed the boundary and they have no police powers at all um and uh, are in fact behaving uh, sort of uh, technically illegal illegally
0: interesting so let's go to those murders the third and the fourth three weeks after annie chapman was discovered dead two more women were killed in the early hours of september 30th and all of these bodies have been found relatively close to each other
3: no, no, they're, they're well. No, they're found within about forty minutes of each other. I mean, there's there's a good sort of um, uh, uh, best part of a mile separating the two bodies. But one is on Metropolitan Police territory, and the other is in, inside the city. Um, the first one is Elizabeth Stride, nicknamed Long Liz. Uh, um, and, uh, she, she was, uh, Scandinavian in origin. She was, a, 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 a um, and, uh, she'd been convicted of, uh, prostitution back in, her, in, in her, her own country. And, um, she was now living in London and she claimed that she'd married an Englishman, but no, no evidence has actually been found for this. And, um. She was uh, murdered uh, 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 around about 1 o'clock in the early hours of the morning of uh, 30th of September. Now, the big problem about Stride is there's a lot of contention about Stride's death. Was she a victim of a domestic, or was she uh, an actual Jack the Ripper uh, victim? Now, my own feeling is... uh, Again, I was digging over all the evidence again fairly recently. My own uh, theory is that she was not a Jack the Ripper victim; that she was the victim of a domestic. Um, but this, this this statement is controversial. It was controversial even at the time when um, um, it was uh, when the policemen argued among themselves whether she was a Jack the Ripper victim or or, or or not. The big problem here is that we don't have all the papers and evidence. That um, was available to the investigators at the time, uh, because simply because so much of it was discarded or thrown away, not for any particular significant uh, reason. This happened to a lot of police papers um, over, over over the decades. There seemed once they rolled papers, they, they can be got rid of. I knew the first curator of the museum at uh, Scotland Yard, rather, 1959, and he was appointed in 1959. And he told me that uh, when they wanted space in the archives, they'd just send somebody down to the, the archives and say, uh, chuck, chuck out the oldest papers, and, um, you know, to, just to make space for the new cases. So, what happened, of course, was a lot of people they picked on some very, various cases, notably Jack the Ripper, and they took souvenirs. And this is why. Um, in recent years, you know, sort of papers from the uh, Jack the Ripper files have uh, have either disappeared, and, have been stolen, or, or else um, they've resurfaced again after after a long period of time. In 1988, we had photographs of two of the victims. In fact, uh, um, of, uh, of Nichols and Stride um, surfacing, along with the post mortem report on Mary Kelly, the last victim. So. The papers are out there, but people have hung on to them. As, you know, sort of souvenirs, or they've, or, or, or they've actually, more recent years, they've actually stolen stuff from the, the archives. So they're, they're so um, back to stride. Where you know the, the argument is, uh, still is, um, was she, was she a domestic uh, murder or? or was she a Jack the Ripper victim? And as I said, my own feeling now is that she was probably the victim of a domestic.
0: That would have been Michael Kidney, correct?
3: That would have been Michael Kidney, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but um, but, uh, but the, the investigators themselves decided it was a Jack the Ripper killing and Kidney was just um, sort of more or less, more or less ignored and, and swept aside in the investigation.
0: You, you write in your book that there's there's a witness that actually sees them. Arguing and kind of crosses to the other side of the street because he's convinced it's just a domestic dispute.
3: Yes, he—he—that's he, he, uh, that, uh, Israel Zangwill. I mean, he, and he's frightened. He gets shouted at, and he—he—he uh, he, he, he th- he thinks it's a domestic and runs off. So you know that's... So, um, but the investigators at the time, well, for whatever reason, uh, decided it wasn't Jack the Ripper killing.
0: Let's move to Catherine Eddowes, if you don't mind.
3: Yeah, so then 40 minutes later, after the discovery of Stride's body in the city, in Mitre Square, is is, is discovered uh, the body of Catherine Eddowes. Um, Now, the irony about her death is that that she'd actually been in in police custody up to a short time before her death. Um, She'd she'd come back to London. She'd been hot-picking. Uh, down in Kent, and she came back, and she told she spent one night in a sort of a, a, a refuge, and she told the supervisor at the refuge that she came, but she'd come back to claim the reward on Jack the Ripper because she actually knew who he was. But uh, she she then went the next day. She then went drinking, and she was seen outside, uh, uh, outside a church uh, uh, um, on the edge of the city, some bottles. And she was uh, drunk, and she was running up and down the road, um, waving her arms about, I- imitating a fire engine. And then she sort of just collapsed from exhaustion and was picked up and taken away to Bishopsgate Police Station in the city, uh, where she was allowed to sleep it off. And around about one o'clock, she'd sobered up sufficiently to be released, so she, she went out. And as she left the, the station, she said to the jailer, Night, old oh, cock, my husband will give me hell. And she walked out and about 10 minutes later, either picked up or was picked up by Jack the Ripper and taken into, uh, Biter Square and, kill, uh, and killed. Now, uh, the thing of now, the irony about, about that particular killing is that the square was patrolled every 15 minutes by a city and the policeman. And there was a warehouse in the square and the door was partly open and an ex-policeman was the, uh, the janitor working there. So the killer, takes her into Mitre Square, or she takes the killer into the Mitre Square, and um, she's killed within uh, a time of about 45 minutes, because what happens is that the patrolling policeman, he comes through on a half hour, and uh, nobody's in the square, he comes back 15 minutes later, and there's the mutilated body of Evans, uh, sorry, of, Ed- of Eddowes, and the throat's cut, you have got cut marks on the face, and... Um, the nose, the, the the tip of the nose falls off, falls off, when the body's picked up. This may have been deliberate mutilation, because one of the long-term effects of syphilis is you know, it rots the nose. And um, in Whitechapel, uh, false noses that uh, could be bought to tie over, to tie on the face, uh, to conceal the the disfigurement. So that that may have been cutting off the tip of the nose may have been. Uh, The ripper's way of saying this this woman is a prostitute. Um, The throat had been cut back to spine. She'd been ripped open from the vagina to the breastbone. Insides lifted out again, as with Chapman, and dropped over the right-hand shoulder. And um, uh, a a, a kidney, she'd uh, been opened up, and uh, a a kidney and uh, other organs, uh, the chief of the kidney, had uh, had been um, uh, taken out. And uh, carried away by the murderer.
0: We will be right back.
2: Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Full Money. Each weekday on Motley Full Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long term perspective on investing. And of course, stock ideas. Plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.
3: Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say.
4: Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Cat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join
1: Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities.
2: The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at ConstantPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And we have returned. What was the condition of Liz Stride's body when, when it was found? Compared to Edo's and the other members of the canonical five,
3: the the similarities uh, uh, of Edo's injuries are, are similar to those of Chapman. Those two, you can definitely say, are by the same killing, uh, by the same uh, been made by the same killer. Stride, uh, there's, there's you don't have any mutilation like that, and um, with uh, Polly Nichols, you have it may have been a first attempt. You have the cuts on the body, but there is no attempt to remove any organs. So you're looking at, as I say, um, Chapman and Eddowes uh, definitely have uh, been killed by the same person. But then when you get to number five, Mary Kelly, uh, the mutilations are, are quite horrific and on a scale all of their own.
0: At the point after the third and fourth bodies are found, the public is in panic mode,
3: isn't it? Well, the the public, the, the, the press have got a, have got a story, and they and they're they're, ch- they're chasing it, and um, they're interested in, in considerably in sort of pushing up sales. And what, of course, is soon realised is that the killing ground is, is, is very small. Now, when the first murder takes place, and then uh, Chapman's murder. Um, London goes into a panic. It's thought that the killer is going to be uh, striking almost anywhere in this very large city. But within a short while, it's realized that the killing ground is actually very small. It's only a walk of about 15 minutes across. I mean, two of the victims, um, numbers two and five, there's only five minutes' walk separating the two murder scenes. I so say this is right in the uh, this is right in the heart of the killing ground. Um, and so panic subsides... Uh, in London overall and it's now the murder is now a sort of a, um, in, it's, it's, a it's a good newspaper read um, but in Whitechapel itself there is fear and there's a great tremendous amount of fear among the women and obviously and um, they petition Queen Victoria for help uh, uh, petition is signed by about 40,000 women and um, Victoria is very interested in the case she doesn't reckon much of the detectives she makes suggestions, should the cattle boats be searched. So she's following the case, so we can see it great interest. And the police are actually carrying out a very, very difficult warrant. The commissioner is carrying, he comes in for a lot of stick, but he's carrying out a very, very difficult investigation. Um, and uh, he, contrary to myth, he has the complete support of the East Enders as a whole, who... Um, Open their houses to him and give him all the help that he, that that, that, he, that he, he he wants. Sorry, that noise is a helicopter just going over. <laughs> I was
0: going to say that sounds like a helicopter.
3: <laughs> that is a helicopter just going over. Um, it's unusual to get this. <laughs> I think. <laughs> right. I think it's more more or less disappearing. Yeah. You know? So a lot. Yeah, so uh, there is tremendous amount of cooperation from the East End, a, a East End. But the newspapers want to sell this, uh, got a story to sell, and it's only now with the fourth killing that you get. The first time you, you, is the first time that you get the mention of the name Jack the Ripper. Before that, the killer is uh, unnamed. He's always the East End murderer or the Whitechapel murderer. So,
0: who coins the name Jack the Ripper?
3: Well. The letter was received at the Central News Agency, uh, which uh, feeds stories to the to the uh, newspapers as a whole. And a letter is received there, um, beginning uh, uh, Dear Boss, and signed Jack the Ripper. Now, almost certainly this letter was a hoax, and uh, various people at the time said that they knew the name of the journalist uh, who'd actually written the story, but but the name of Stuck. So ever since that that letter, um, the murders has always been Jack the Ripper murders, and the murderer Jack, uh, is Jack the Ripper. But it was almost certainly a newspaper, uh, the name was almost certainly a newspaper invention.
0: So let's go to Mary Kelly, the fifth member of the Canonical Five. And can you maybe explain what the Canonical Five refers to? And then talk a little about Mary Kelly.
3: The canonical five are, uh, are um, Polly Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes, and Mary Kelly. They are generally accepted to be the Jack the Ripper victims. Vic, well, say there is uh, argument about uh, Stride, um, but in the files um, at Scotland Yard, uh, they, they, they've included other Vic, uh, other persons who who were uh, Killed in in the East End during do, do, a, a certain period, and they've got about 12 names, but they're not all Jack the Bipper the victims. They've all just been bunched. To, they've all just been bunched together. The, so those those are the for those are the five. Those are the canonical five, and but others are added, and continue to be added year after year after year. I think the the official number of suspects is now, not official in inverted commas, is now well over 200. Um, you go from uh, Lord Randolph Churchill, Winston Churchill's father, to Lewis Carroll, the author of Alice in Wonderland, um, and you bring in all sorts of people on the way for the most obscure and odd reasons. I, I, on one occasion I had a phone call uh, from an elderly lady. She said, uh, uh, Mr. Um, Lowe, so I said yes. She said, "Are you Mr. Ramolos?" Um, writes about Jack the Ripper. Yes. So she said, um, uh, "Well, I know who Jack the Ripper uh, was." So um, I said, "Fine." So there was a pause, and I said, "Well, do you, want, do you want to tell me or discuss it or what?" She said, "Well, I'll tell you." She said, um, "Jack the Ripper was Lord Randolph Churchill, Winston's Winston Churchill's father." So uh, I said, "Okay, fine." what's your evidence for this? So she said, well, he died of syphilis and lived in London. I said, well, that could have been said about an awful lot of people. She was furious. That was her evidence. She just slammed the phone down on me. But, you know, people come up with all sorts of reasons and strains and, uh, you know, the, they, 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 and uh, they say the number gets odd and odder and odder. Somebody's only got to live in the East End of London, and immediately they're branded as Jack the Ripper. I mean, the situation's got well out of hand. It's absolutely crazy.
0: So a little turn here. I like the narrative to stay chronological normally. So I want to get back to Mary Kelly in a moment. But while I've got this question on my mind, I want to ask it. There have been so many serial killers over history. How, in your opinion, did Jack the Ripper rise above the rest? Why is he so iconic?
3: Well, first of all, the reason why he's such an obsessive figure is the name, the brand name. It's absolutely sort of whoever coined the name was sort of a you know sort of a genius. But Jack the Ripper, it's the name sticks. Secondly, when till about thirty years before the Jack the Ripper murders, newspapers were taxed and um there wasn't a great newspaper circulation, but then with the increase in printing methods transport methods rail and, and such like um information would be, could be got faster and quicker through the country, and the tax was removed as well so suddenly you have a very wide reading uh public and, then the, and um uh, the, the 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 public uh, could, could they no the, the newspapers are no longer just one sort of page portraits. These, these these were magazines with wood, 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 wood prints and such like, and the, the the appeal to the mass market was enormous. Now Jack, uh, if you look at it very coldly, Jack Jack Jack, Jack was a, an absolute an entity. I suspect if you looked at if you met him, you probably wouldn't even recognise him. He'd, he'd look so ordinary. Um, but the story has been glamorised. Even with a, a newspaper, even at the time of the uh, Kelly murder, talked about the romance uh, uh, of the killings, uh, which was a strange word to use, but the romance of the killings. Within three months of Kelly's death, there was a stage play, the death of Mary Kelly in Paris. In, uh, within a year of the killings, there was a stage play, Jack, Jack the Ripper. And uh, the story was quickly picked up by sort of magazines and books. Uh, it was then became sort of stage plays. It became it entered the entertainment business. Then you start getting, once you start getting movies uh, going, then, then the story accelerates. I mean, um, the, the one of the, the, Mrs. Belloc book, *The Lodger*, was a, um, a key element in the in creating the fascination for the story, and of course her book was turned into a silent movie. Um, by and the director was twenty-six-year-old Alfred Hitchcock. One of his uh, early movies, he- and uh, he was the first of a long line of, uh, of um, uh, scriptwriters and screenwriters who, who, who built who built on the Jack the River story. It's been glamorized. It's, it's been given color. It's been given romance. It's moved well away from from, from, from its roots. Um, he, he's, Jack the River has been stuck in the computer banks of the Starship Enterprise. He's, appeared in Cimarron City you know sort of di- fighting with the local cowboy vigilantes. Uh, he's d- d- cropped up several times in recent films. Um, he's involved with Freemasonry Queen Victoria gets involved and uh, the story gets more and more uh, more crazy um, and uh, one of the suspects real life well, not, one of the real life suspects. Although there's no evidence for his involvement, was the Duke of Clarence, Queen Victoria's grandson. I mean, I've even got got a copy in which the Duke of Clarence, uh, a comic book in which the Duke of Clarence, as Jack the Ripper, fights it out with Dracula for the love of Mary (laughs) Kelly. Uh, Apparently, Dracula lived in the East End of London before moving to Transylvania. You know, so the story goes on and on. It just gets it's into science fiction. It's into um, fiction, uh, fiction as a whole. A num- I've just dealt and read another, another book, another manuscript. Sherlock Holmes versus Jack the Ripper. I've lost count of the number of times that Sherlock Holmes and Jack the Ripper crop up. Um, you know, so the story just keeps growing and growing and growing. And this is the fascination for the public: It's you get more and more films, stage plays, and and, and so the story will grow.
0: So l- let's move to Mary Kelly. She- she's the most well-known Jack the Ripper victim. Wouldn't you say, the photographs, the illustrations, her death is really that the peak of the Jack the Ripper story, isn't it?
3: Yes, it's the, the story. The story reaches this tremendous crescendo with the, with the with the death of Mary Kelly. Um, you have um, this series of murders. I mean, Jack, Jack was was working to some sort of program of his own. We don't know what it was, but it goes like this. Um, 31st of August, he kills uh, Polly Nichols. 8th of September, he kills Annie Chapman. 30th of September is the double event; he kills Stride and Eddowes. 8th of October, nothing happens. 30th of October, nothing happens. Then on the 8th, 9th of November, this is when you get the killing of Mary Kelly, the fifth, and cano- fifth canonical victim, and this is the most brutal of them all because he, he, he's in he, he, the murder is carried out inside. Her. Uh, House no It's not out on the street, and he has more time to um linger over his victim who is butchered quite savagely there's no other word to describe it. horribly mutilated and disfigured and um there are photographs of the murder scene as found and, uh, um, uh, say the, the 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 room is just just, just like a slaughterhouse. And, uh, but with the death of Mary Kelly, the murder's come to an end. And ever since that time, there's been the great guessing game. Why? What happened? Did he die? Commit suicide? What happened? And this is where all all the guesswork starts coming in.
0: Can you talk about what we know about the last hours or minutes of Mary Kelly's life? How her body was discovered and the state that it was in?
3: Yeah. Yes, she... she um, uh, the, the night uh, um, the night she was murdered, uh, she'd, it was raining, and she'd already picked up one customer, um, took him back to her room, got rid of him very quickly, and then went on the street again. And around about sort of three thirty in the morning, she picked up Jack the Ripper and took him back to her room, number thirteen Miller's Court. It was just a like, partitioned room, or, or a partitioned off room in a house. And around about four o'clock. Somebody heard the cry of murder, very faintly. But cries in, of murder in the area were quite commonplace, so everyone ignored the cry and went back to sleep. And in the morning, um, Kelly's landlord sent his man round to the room to ask Kelly for the rent. He was behind with the payments, So the man went round to the room, uh, knocked on the door. There was no answer. So he went round to the side uh, of the room where there was a, 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 a broken window, um, Kelly had thrown something at her boyfriend a little while before and boyfriend had left. And, um, she'd packed the, the window, uh, hole in the window with with, 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 sort of rags. Um, the man pushed out the bags, um, lifted up the curtain inside and saw the body of Mary Kelly. She was lying on the bed face, facing the window. Um, and, uh, her face had been uh, been, been cut, cut down to the skull. She could only be identified by her hair and ears. Um flesh had been cut from different parts of her body. This was stacked up on the table at the side of the bed. Um, her right th- thigh bone had been um, split open with an axe. The torso had been skinned down to the rib cage. One breast, her womb, and her kidneys were found under her neck. The other breast and her liver were found under one of her feet. Her heart was missing. Intestines had been draped on sort of hooks. You can't see these in the photograph. They've been hooked, you know, draped on hooks around the room, and this was how the body of Mary Kelly was found. Um, the day was also Lord Mayor's Show Day, which was where, which is when you had this great procession through the city of London. Uh, the Lord Mayor in his gold coach um, and uh, being uh, taking his ride to the law courts to be sworn into office, and. It was as the great procession turned round, uh, turned into a street in front of St Paul's Cathedral, the newsboys came running through the crowd, shouting "Murder! Another horrible murder! Jack the Ripper's done it again!" And as one official said, the day was quite ruined. Jack the Ripper had indeed stolen um, the, uh, the, the limelight. But that's when, but with the death of Kay- Kelly, that's when we come to the end of the canonical five. Um, the investigation. A lot of people seem to think that um, because the victims were prostitutes uh, that um, the police didn't take the usual care that they, norm- uh, they normally did with, with the murder investigation. This is absolute nonsense. You can see uh, the, from the papers that survived the enormous tension that was given to um, the investigation in a desperate attempt to, 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 solve, to solve these murders. Um, but, but the police, police found against a tremendous handicap in the killing ground, lodging houses um, in the same street where Kelly's body was found. There were three lodging, major lodging houses, sleeping sleeping sort of 250 persons each night. All of whom would be turned out in, into the street in the morning. Um, so you can imagine the scale uh, of the investigation that would have been needed who's dealt with all, all, all these all, all, all these casual witnesses the tra- police tried very very hard to 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 get jack the ripper but none of them could uh, investigators could ing- agree eventually on who uh, jack was although having said that this is where um robert anderson who was head of cid criminal investigation department he subsequently uh, um said that um, The Jack the Ripper was a man called Kosminski, but but that again is disputed, as is almost everything in this this case.
0: Back after a few brief messages. The storm broke in Chattanooga one night in 1906, when a young woman was the victim of a violent crime. From that moment, the city knew no peace for four furious years. At the center of the storm was the notorious inmate, Dave Edwards who is awaiting trial on murder charges. After a high-profile case threatened to go cold, the desperate county sheriff did the unthinkable by freeing Dave Edwards from jail and deputizing him to track down the fugitive. Reva Steed's Four Years of Fury in Chattanooga, Tennessee, written by Kimberly Tilly, narrated by Samuel Burst, is the most amazing true crime story you've never heard. Listen to Grievous Steed's The Audiobook, available on Audible, iTunes, and Amazon.
4: Hi. I'm Matt Albers, host of the Pirate History Podcast. The men and women of the Golden Age of Piracy are some of the most infamous and often misunderstood characters in all of human history. You know their names. Captain Morgan, Anne Bonny, Henry Avery, Mary Reed, Captain Kidd, Blackbeard. But do you know their stories, their real stories? Every week over on the Pirate History Podcast, we explore the real lives of these pirates. We examine what made these pirates sail the high seas in search of plunder and adventure and revenge. The real stories are a lot more complex and a lot more interesting than the stories most of us have been told. If you'd like to hear the stories of the real men and women who went on the account and sailed under the black flag, Join us on the Pirate History Podcast.
1: Let Mysteries at Midnight be your destination for detective who it and captivating mystery stories. You'll hear classic stories like Sherlock Holmes, Agatha Christie's Poirot, and short tales from H.G. Wells, Charles Dickens, Edgar Allan Poe, and others. I'm Christopher and I read these classic stories in the soothing style of a bedtime story, so you can listen to them in bed when you drift off to sleep. I also host the number one sleep podcast in the world called Sleep Cove, where millions drift off to meditations, hypnosis, and bedtime stories. We soon realized that listeners wanted to hear our mystery stories all in one place, so we created Mysteries at Midnight, where you can listen to all new tales every week. Search for Mysteries at Midnight on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app, and follow and subscribe, so you don't miss out on new episodes. So why don't you pick a story now? And can you guess the twist?
0: And we have returned for the final time. I think you you write in your book that Commissioner Henry Smith put a full third of his police force in plain clothes to, to try and solve this.
3: Yeah, uh, did that. He, uh, Smith did that. He Smith did that. He wanted the glory of getting Jack the Ripper. Actually, it was half the police force in his police force into plain clothes to try and get him. Warren, the Met Commissioner, drafted extra policemen in, 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 into into, into Whitechapel in an effort to get uh, to, to capture him. And of course, there was eventually there was a reward put out for the capture of Jack, but but uh, he, ne- he never was caught.
0: You write that at the the peak of the murders, police were being inundated with letters. And it must have been complete chaos for police wading through this vast number of
3: of leads. The the letters were going in at the rate of about a thousand a a week. And uh, I mean, of course, once people got, got the name, they started making up all sorts of stories, you know, like uh I know who Jack the Ripper is I saw his name written on a laboratory wall in Guildhall Yard and you know and they send in these cards with all and put in on a lot of postcards they draw pictures my heart the a heart a dagger and, and uh, there's a lot of uh, attempt to um uh, sort of uh, make a joke of the investigation but a lot of old people also wrote in pointing the finger at different people ...and voicing their suspicions... ...and these again all had to be investigated... ...but some, but some of the suggestions... ...I mean, you, you have suggestions... ...as to how Jack the Ripper... ...should, should, have, should be caught... ...my, my favourite among them all... ...is that um, the policemen themselves... ...should disguise themselves as prostitutes... ...and these various letters... ...they always end up with the same reminder... ...that the policemen should remember... ...to sort of shave off their beards and moustaches... ...before they, 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 they put on women's costume... Now, the favourite one for me is that was the suggestion that underneath the bodice of a wooden woman's costume, uh, the policeman would wear a steel breastplate. Attached to this breastplate would be um, terminals running up behind his ears, and from these terminals there would be wires going down un, 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 under, the, un, under the bodice, down to a battery concealed under the bustle at uh, the back of the skirt. The idea being that when Jack the Ripper leapt out of the darkness and threw his arm around um, the, the the policeman's neck, thinking he was a, a woman, the policeman would slap the bustle. This would cause a surge of electrical power up from the battery under the bustle up to the terminals behind the ear, policeman's ears, and throw off a tremendous shock, which would then force stun Jack the Ripper and cause him to fall to the ground. But then so too would the policeman. But the rider the writer had thought about this. As they lay on the ground, the policeman would still have movement in one hand for his fingers to run along the uh, the street gutter, um, find a button which he would then press. This would ring at a nearby police station and cause mounted, uh, ma- mounted cavalrymen to ga- come galloping from the station to his, his rescue and the capture of Jack the Ripper. <laughs> it's not surprising across this and a lot of other letters, uh, you know, the words have been written, this person must be mad. That's great. But that's my favourite one, and of course uh, the other suggestion was that they used dogs. And in fact, Warren tried uh, dogs. He did an experiment with dogs, and um, he he allowed himself to be hunted in Hyde Park, one of London's big 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 royal parks, by by, by two dogs called Burgo and Barnaby. And uh, of course, you have this ludicrous situation. There, there are drawings of it of, Bur- of the, the commissioner. In plain clothes and hat, running right round the Hyde Park, being cha- and um, hiding from these two dogs, who then have to try and find him. Well, the experiment was, and of course Warren foolishly did this all in front of the press, who had a wonderful time with it and uh, made him look an absolute fool. And of course, when Warren didn't use the dogs, the press then put out a rather mischievous story saying that dogs have been used to try to catch Jack the Ripper, but had been lost in a fog. Um, This, again, I added, if you like, to the amusement uh, found by many in in sort of the police investigation of the case. And and drawings and prints were actually published of these dogs uh, uh, dragging policemen along the street uh, trying to find Jack the Ripper.
0: Goodness. So, so I wanted to ask you about the infamous letters attributed to Jack the Ripper, the ones where he taunts the police. How many were there? And were any of them, do you think, legitimate? Did they actually come from the killer?
3: Well, the, if you look at the, the, the Dear Boss letter, which was signed Jack the Ripper, almost certainly from a journalist. Um, but the only one you can really consider is genuine, is the one that came, which came... Um, um, ...with a piece of kidney enclosed. Now, the letter was addressed from hell... ...and it was addressed to Mr. Lusk... ...who was head of, uh, of the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee. And the boss, and the letter was addressed from hell... ...and it was sent to Lusk. His name had been put in the newspaper. And uh, he. Um, the letter was addressed from hell and read... Mr. Lusk, sir, I send you half the kidney I took from one woman... Preserved it for you. T'other piece I fried and ate. It was very nice. I may send you the bloody knife that took it out if only you wait a while longer. Sign, catch me when you can, Mister Lusk. Now there, there's been there's always been there's been argument about that that that, that kidney because it, it, it was taken, uh, Major Smith had it in charge of the city investigation. Uh, took it to a kidney spe- to kidney specialist. And, um, cutting the the story short, attached to the piece of kidney was um, two to three inches of renal artery, which apparently matched up to a fragment inside Edo's body. So if you accept the kidney as genuine, which you have to on that evidence, then the letter is genuine. So that is the only one you can actually say, um genuine letter that, that uh, came from Jack the ripper the rest uh, all other letters are speculation i mean there are lots of as i said there was about letters going in about a thousand a thousand a year um Patricia Cornwall and uh Bruce robinson more recently they 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 they're saying these letters were or well, other letters were posted all o- uh, over the country um and sent in but there's there's no evidence for them there's no evidence at all.
0: I'd like to, to shift to the suspects, if we could. There there are certainly a lot, as you've said, and, and I'd like to ask you about a few you specifically address in your book. Perhaps we could start with M.J. Druitt. Why was he considered a suspect early on?
3: His name and some of the others doesn't occur until two, three years after the murders. Um, this was... um. Sir Melville McNaughton, who was um, Assistant uh, Chief Constable at uh, Scotland Yard, and he did a memoranda in in response to a sort of a newspaper story, and uh, 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 naming somebody called Thomas Cutbush as uh, Jack the Ripper. And McNaughton mentions three names, Montague John Druitt, uh, Kosminski, and Michael Ostrog, a petty crook. Now, Montague John Druitt um, was... A barrister had a very respectable background, and um, he uh, uh, he committed suicide shortly after the death of Mary Kelly. He drowned himself in the River Thames. Now, according to McNaughton, his own family believed to have been him to have been Jack the Ripper, but nobody uh, but uh, nobody knows why McNaughton said that, except I mean he just refers to private information but that but he leaves it just at that. So there are photographs, and that of uh, Druid, who's a hot suspect for many, uh, simply because of the suicide after uh, after Kelly's death. Kosminski is a, is another one. He he was um, he, he 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 was insane, and uh, if he was Jack Jack because somehow you've got to explain why it was that in the three years after the death of Mary Kelly. Um, he never made. He was never convicted of any other, or he made no other attack efforts towards violence or or, 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 or murder. And eventually, he's he's committed to an asylum, and he dies there some some years later. Um, but again, with as we drew it, there is no evidence to connect either of them with the Jack the Ripper murders. Um, Michael Ostrog was a, the third suspect. was a petty crook and uh, in and out of prison. And we now know that he was actually locked up in prison at the time of the Jack the Ripper murders. He was locked up in prison in France, so he can come off uh, McNaughton's list. But, uh, so you're left with just Druitt and Kosminski. A lot of work has been done about on, on, on Kosminski, Aaron Kosminski, but you have this problem of the, insa- uh, the insanity uh, again. Um why, if he was Jack the Ripper, and he was known to be Jack the Ripper, why was he why was he free to roam the streets? And, 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 and uh, why did he commit no other murder, murders or acts of violence? So he goes out the window, in my opinion, and so, and so does Druitt. There's nothing to link Druitt to the Jack the Ripper murders.
0: How was Kazminski initially connected to the murders?
3: Um, well well this all crops up because chief inspector swanson in his book uh, in a book he, he in a book he writes the name Kosminski was the man anderson is also um going on, on Swanson thinks that Kosminski was was jack the was jack the ripper and and the um, all sorts of you know sort of strings have been pulled to put kosminski into the frame, but I don't think that any of them work.
0: What about Dr. Stanley?
3: Dr. Stanley, um, yes, according to that particular theory, um, his son had a relationship with Mary Kelly, and uh, he he became infected and he died of the disease, and so Dr. Stanley decides to avenge his son by killing Kelly, and he he sort of um, works his way through the prostitutes until finally he gets Kelly and, and kills her. But again, that's it's, it's a piece of fictitious nonsense. There's no evidence for this.
0: Could you talk about George Chapman?
3: Um, George, George Chapman actually sort of uh, lived lived for a time in, in sort of white in Whitechapel, and um, he uh, was eventually convicted of, poison, of poisoning three of his wives. The fact that he, he's put in the frame simply because. He is so close to the scene of the murders at the time, uh, sorry, he's, so close, he's living in Whitechapel, so near to the time of the Jack the Ripper murders. And again, there is no evidence for this. I, I hate to keep saying this, but all these names, when you, when you look at them, you say, where is the evidence? Where is the evidence? And the, the evidence simply isn't there. And you can go through these books, one after another, just pulling the, uh, pulling the some theories to pieces what I was saying a moment ago I was like, there's there's so many names coming out of the hat now that I, I, if, if the thing is published, I, I look and see what the last chapter says, and if it says possibly could be might have been likely to, then the book goes back on the shelf because the person has obviously not proved the the uh, the, the, the the case. The list. As I say, it's well over two hundred now, and it's, and it's just it's, it's getting ridiculous. You can't keep up with the, with, with the names, and but again, as I said earlier on, it seems that if anyone is actually living in, in in Whitechapel or in the East End in the 1880s, they are likely to be a Jack the Ripper suspect. But I, I tend to get a bit uh, sort of tetchy about this because I I'd love to know the answer. I'd love to know, I, I one time I thought I did know the answer, but I, I, clearly I, I didn't, the research went wrong. Um, and I just think it's, it's, just, it's just building up and building up all these theories, and there's no evidence. We haven't got evidence against a single suspect that we could take any name that we could actually take to court. We couldn't even get him into a magistrate's court for a preliminary hearing. The the evidence simply doesn't exist against any suspect, named suspect. Does that sound like a very growly old, grumpy old man? But it does get frustrating. And people say, oh, how about X? How about Y? And you think, well, where's the evidence?
0: I'd like to ask you about another, though. Many of us in America have read Patricia Cornwell's Portrait of a Killer. And I'd really like to hear your thoughts about the evidence she presents Implicating Walter Sickert.
3: Yeah, as so I say, she um, she's just done she's just done the new new edition. I have I, I I haven't read it, but as far as I I, I can make out, it, it's sort of um, a reworking of the uh, the um, evidence um, that she's already presented, and the if I'm as I recall. With the new evidence, it's coming up to some some uh, some of the letters were, were on um, a Jack the Ripper letters were letter, on the same paper that that, that Sickert was in in the habit of using. Um, mitochondrial DNA was found on a Doctor Openshaw letter uh, using the name Jack the Ripper, um, but there's no way of and also on an envelope from. Walter Sickert, the stamp from Walter Sickert letter, and a rim- ripper envelope that tests positive of blood. Um, there's no way of knowing who any of the DNA belongs to, and if I quote here, statistically this mitochondrial sample excludes 99% of the contemporary Victorian population, that means with an estimated national population of more than 40 million people, this DNA sequence could have been found in more than 400,000 persons. It has to be repeatedly st- stressed that there is no Sickert DNA for uh, Cornwall's comparison, and there is no proven co- connection between Sickert and the Ripper letters. That was what I said then. I really can't go be- really can't go beyond that because it, there is, it, I mean she, I think she's now saying that there, there were she reckoned he was guilty of about twenty murders now, same as Bruce Robinson. Um, but again. Uh, and i I can't, I can't say not having read the new book, but um, when i the original book no I could, there, there just wasn't the evidence there and, and uh, that's about all I can say so it's not, not very it's not very satisfactory to leave it like that but but, but I, I, ju- I just don't believe her i just don't believe her theory that there, there is the, the connection you've mentioned
0: before that you thought you might have discovered the identity of Jack the Ripper and then later reversed your feelings on the theory. Can you explain what your theory was and how you disproved it?
3: Yeah, what, what happened was um, uh, that I thought it was one of the lodging housekeepers. Timothy Don- Donovan was a lodging housekeeper, and he gave evidence at two of the inquests on, 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 um, um, on, on two of the victims. And... Um, for a long time I, I, I'd always thought a common lodging house um, I, I, uh, in um, uh, Dorset Street uh, where Annie Chapman was lodging and also where uh, Kelly had lodgings. And I thought for, for some time that Donovan uh, was a perfect suspect because he actually, on the original e- e- evidence I had, he actually died um, after uh, the Kelly death. And there were various other uh, pointers which I thought suggested that Donovan um, might have been sort of Jack the Ripper. And then, uh, unfortunately, I managed to get hold of a death certificate which discovered that he had died before the Mary Kelly killing. So Donovan went out of the window. Um, and uh, so uh, that was, he was the only suspect, I, I, I thought, um, might have been Jack the Ripper. But I was wrong. And as one, and, and as happened, one happens, uh, I, had to, I admitted that I was wrong and um, my evidence was inconclusive.
0: There's one more that I want to ask you about. You write in your book that Dr. Francis Tumblety has to be the most important suspect to surface in the past two decades. Why is that?
3: Well, he he, he was fascinating. Tumblety was was, was, was fascinating, uh, Doctor uh, uh, t- um, Tumblety, because he was the he was the American he, the suspect, and uh, he was discovered by a friend of mine called Stuart Evans. Um, and he was actually arrested at the time of, of, of the ja- of, of the Jack of the Ripper murders. Um, he actually. Um, he was given bail and jumped, uh, jumped bail, got back to America and said, said that he'd been arrested for the Jack the Ripper murders. He'd been arrested just after the death of Mary Kelly. And uh, he said that um, he'd been arrested for the, for the Jack the Ripper murders, whereas in fact, he'd actually been he'd actually been arrested for uh, uh, acts of gross indecency with five named men. And that was why he jumped bail, because, of course, this was only... Um, uh, three years after the uh, 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 sorry, this was um, only only saw sort of two, three years after the passing of the act, which will eventually um, send Oscar Wilde to prison for for two years with hard labour. So, by getting back to the states, it was more important for him to have people believe that he was a Jack, that he'd been a Jack, Jack the Ripper suspect. Not that he'd been arrested for acts of gross indecency with men, so he pushed that story out quite well. But Tumblety was about 55 years old, wrong age. Jack the Ripper, um, we think, was around about 20, in the 28 to 34 age group. And uh, Tumblety had these enormous moustaches, and everything about him was completely wrong for Jack Jack the Ripper. But he was one of the most interesting suspects to surface. Nobody was aware of him until Stuart dug up a letter, and was able to track him down from that letter. That's why I said I thought it was one of the most important things to surface. We had here a piece of real original research, Um, not not just another name pulled out of the air.
0: You've been heavily involved in in the creation of the Jack the Ripper tours. I haven't had the, the pleasure of taking one yet. Is there anything left of Jack the Ripper's London in 2017?
3: there's very little there's there's almost nothing left the reason being that uh, of course the, 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 the area suffered very bold, badly from bombing uh in in the second world war a lot lot when uh, there was a tremendous amount of destruction and um in the post war period there was there was an attempt to sort of um uh, Reorganise uh, to, to, to reshape the East End, which meant bringing in disastrous tower blocks and such like, and demolishing what were uh, the old buildings. Now, many of now, which which could have been reclaimed and reused, as, as subsequently happened. But uh, in the mania for a sort of um, new buildings in, in the in the 1950s and 60s, a lot of the old East End went. So there is in fact very little left. There are a few buildings, but basically you have to to sort of conjure the story, and you just have a few buildings on which to uh, sort of build your story.
0: There are a lot of film versions of the Jack the Ripper story. Most, I'm guessing, are are far from the truth, as Hollywood movies are apt to be. Are there any screen versions of the story that, that you'd recommend?
3: No, I mean uh, they have been. Uh, I, I, I mean, I like uh, one of one of my favorites was nineteen sixties film, Study and Terror*. I mean, that's Sherlock Holmes and Jack the Ripper. I always thought that was a good one. But there again, you sort in more, of in more recent, um, probably my favorite, and then of course m- more recent years, you've got um, *How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the, the Bomb*. One, um, the one with Peter Sellers. Um, oh, oh um, Dr. Strangelove.
0: Doctor Strange Doctor
3: Strange Love, yeah. I mean that that's a Jack. That's the Jack the Ripper. That's a Jack the Ripper story. But my favourite of them all, I think, is The Ruling Class by Peter, starring Peter O'Toole. Um, it was a black comedy. It started off as a stage play written by Peter Barnes. And it's the, uh, the, 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 14th Earl, uh, of a noble family. Um, believes he's J.C., Jesus Christ. And he, in his stately home, he has a cross resting against the mantelpiece and he rests on this cross from time to time when he's feeling a bit weird. Uh, weary and uh, Peter O'Toole one is well, uh, dressed all in white with a long, long uh, blonde hair and, and, uh, and, a be- and a beard, trying to look as, like, uh, as much like Christ as possible. And uh, but the fact, and this is all evidence of his insanity, the fact that he believes he is J C. So he is sent away to, um, uh, uh, for cure. And he comes back completely cured. He's no longer J.C., but he's now J.R., Jack the Ripper. Now, this is a real scramble of a story, but it's extremely, extremely funny. And it, um, it has song and dance and all, all sorts of elements in it. Um, but, but I think that's probably my, my, my favorite Jack the Ripper film, The Ruling Class, starring Peter O'Toole.
0: I'll have to check it out. So where can people find out more about you and your work?
3: Uh, I don't, I haven't got a website, and in fact, I'm sort of c- coming close to retiring and shutting down, so I'm not putting anything out at all. But um, the book is still in print, and uh, the complete Jack the Ripper, and that's about all all I can really say on it.
0: Will you continue to release new editions?
3: Yeah, I mean, the, book cont- the book's been continuously in print for 45 years now. It's had numerous editions, and... Uh, As I say, um, um, if new evidence comes to light and the publishers are happy, I'll I'll do a a new edition. But the the book says everything I really want to say. Um, I've got nothing new to add to it.
0: That's wonderful. I'm glad my first foray here into the Jack the Ripper story was with someone as well-respected and unbiased on the topic as you. You're not pushing any agenda, just the facts.
3: I try and get an, just an objective look at the whole story. That was how I started, I started writing it originally, to have an objective look to see what we'd actually got.
0: So you were accused of being Jack the Ripper once, weren't you?
3: I, uh, yes, I was. Um, I, I even had a, I had a letter come to my house just addressed to Jack the Ripper, and uh, That uh, he was just addressed Jack the Ripper London and and came to came to the house on another occasion. I was at a theatre where a show was being done on Jack the Ripper, and I was hauled out from the audience as the suspect, and I was I was hanged in inverted commas on the stage (laughs) as Jack the Ripper. So um, yeah, so so so, uh, uh, yes, it, it, it comes home at certain times. Yeah.
0: So this is the most serious question that I, that I have for you today. Are there any books in the works being written by authors somewhere in the world that are naming you as Jack the Ripper?
3: (laughs) Uh, No, I had the, there there was the Swedish, there was a Swedish comic, which had me as uh, Jack the Ripper. That was a comic called the Phantom. A bit like, um, sort of Superman. And, um, and, uh, in I I knew nothing about this comic until the the author sent me a copy and in it this um, this uh, businessman this London businessman um uh very portly in frock coat and wing collar um he was Jack the Ripper and there comes this moment when he's got he's got hold of a a a, a young girl in a Victorian dress he's got his hand his hand is raised with a knife in the hand and uh the the phantom bursts through the wall, shouting, "Got you at last, Rumbelow!" And that was the <laughs> first time I knew about this. Anyway, Rumbelow gets chased away down the sewers and um, eventually is, is attacked by rats and eaten in the sewer. The last sign of Rumbelow is going under the water with the rats over him. So, um, yes, yeah, so that <laughs> if I knew that he said he got the author said he got so much fun from my book he decided to name me a Jack the Ripper. So, um, yes. Yeah.
0: You need to write that in your next epilogue.
3: <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, so that's all part. That, that, that's all part of it. Yeah. So uh, you know, I was flattered. I was flattered to be made Jack in a comic book. <laughs>
0: right. Absolutely. Well, well, this has been great. Uh, thank you for your time. I, I hope you didn't mind me keeping you so long.
3: Not at all. Thank, thank you very much, Eric.
0: My guest today, again, was Donald Rumbelow, author of the book entitled The Complete Jack the Ripper. This has been another episode of the Most Notorious Podcast, broadcasting to every dark and cobwebbed corner of the world. I'm Eric Rivenus, and have a safe tomorrow.